In the episode 1577 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1577. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris coming at you. And we have a very fun segment today. Generally speaking, we always get this gentleman on for a preview of the bowl season in college football. And uh, we're going to do the bookend of it this time around. We are going to take a look back at the 2022-2023 college football bowl season with one of the great dignitaries here of our show, uh, the great writer from our Sports Central and other outlets, Fran Stuckberry. You can follow his work there. And then, of course, also the great Gridiron Access page on Facebook. Fran, a pleasure to have you back on. We broke down a lot of things. We talked about a lot of things heading into bowl season, and uh, I dare say most of them turned out to be true. Well, happy to be on the show, Rick. Um, yeah, it was fun to watch the bowl season and the, the playoffs and the uh, championship that we will we'll tune out very early. Yes, and uh, I have to say, I mean, the semifinals more than lived up to my expectations. I had low expectations. I, of course, thought going in that the seeding should have been Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Ohio State 3, Alabama 4, and only Alabama 4 because of the Hendon Hooker injury. That's why I would have given it to them over my Tennessee Vols. But that was the thing where I really didn't expect uh, either of these games to be quite as competitive as they were. Both of them really, really historic games taken together as far as a doubleheader and uh, a historic upset by TCU because most of the time uh, the non-glamour schools coming in have not made it to the championship game. This is the first time that one of the outsiders managed to break through. I think not coincidentally against a team coached by Jim Harbaugh because uh, of his record in big games, but uh, Ohio State giving Georgia all it could handle there. And we see this phenomenon a lot of times in sports, and sometimes it'll go the other way around, where there'll be a bunch of flop games maybe in the first round of the NFL playoffs, and and then uh, that sets up like a great divisional round because it's all the elite teams that are kind of in there against one another. And you don't generally get two rounds in a row that go as well as this, nor do you generally get two rounds that diverge as much as this, perhaps. But two historically great semifinals, Fran, and a historic beatdown in the national championship game, and I wonder if that's not almost inevitable. Well, the thing is, um, the semifinals, I mean, usually they're train wrecks, but they were great games. Um, the thing was, as far as, like, um, Michigan gave, gave that game away to TCU, gave them two touchdowns, they gave the game all the turnovers and mistakes they made. So that, Michigan, I, I think it was one Michigan lost that game and TCU won that game. And as far as Ohio State, I mean, CJ Shroud, I mean, yeah, he raised his draft stock a lot with that performance against the defense. They played great. And I'll be honest with you, if their, if their wide receiver did not get knocked out of that game, I think they definitely would have won it. 
Yes, and I have to say, C.J. Stroud made me eat my words because I'd never seen it out of him, and I'd said it on the show here, and again, he's such a nice kid, I felt badly for saying it. I'm so glad that I don't have to stick by that take anymore because this is finally the C.J. Stroud I've always heard about. I'd just never seen it with my own two eyes as far as him coming up big in a big game. He did everything he could to win that game. The defense was, uh, <coughs> it was, it was a flop, quite frankly, on the heels of the Michigan game where it was much the same. This was a little bit more understandable, and particularly when you watch what Bennett did to TCU in the national championship game. This wasn't how Georgia normally fared with their offense during the season, but points to Kirby Smart for the adaptability of it, for letting them go out there, attack, and rely less on the run game than they had throughout the season. Well, I think that, I mean, that field goal, I'm, I'm going to give a guy a pass. That was a, that was a long field goal, a field goal. They, they should have tried to send the ball, but they were running, but they were just, you know, I mean, the, guy, the game was amazing. That game was like, I mean, New Year's Eve, when, um, I think more people were, 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 were close to that game than the ball dropping on um, with, with Ryan Seacrest and that ABC nonsense. Well, and I can tell you, somebody that uh, had on both of those things happening, that field goal attempt, I think, was right about at the stroke of midnight. That, in and of itself, is historic sports-wise. There's never been a sporting event before, and I don't know uh, if there will be any subsequently uh, that really coincide with uh, the turnover of one year to the next quite in the same way that that did. I agree with you on the field goal attempt at the end there. Ryan Day some of the in-game coaching, some of the things that were questionable. That one stands out the most. You can't just say, okay, we got it within field goal range now, we'll take our chances. You have to do everything you can to set up a much better chance at the end there uh, with the field goal. And the, this, this notion of going back to the run at that point in time. Ohio State, it's very rare that a team can attack Georgia so one-dimensionally, but Ohio State did successfully. Uh, they didn't even really try to run for the most part, and uh, they should have stuck with that strategy, quite frankly, right there at the end. It, it was something where it's not as egregious as, yes, I think Harbaugh did many things to choke away the other semifinal, uh, but Ryan Day doesn't have anything to feel proud about as far as the uh, the in-game coaching at the end. Yeah, the fact that they got down the field was real was it really amazed me in the first place. No, no, no expect to them to get down the field in the last thirty seconds, even have an opportunity to win the game. But it was just, it was an amazing performance. It was a, uh, I mean, I went on vacation in Charlotte this past weekend. Um, ESPN featured the replay. I ended up watching the end of the game and the last half hour because it was such an amazing game. And I never watched a game I've always seen more um, once before. It was incredible, and that is a day. And I know we'll be getting to more towards the end, probably talking a little bit about the off season, but uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I wonder if December 31st might not be a turning point for both the Ohio State and the Michigan programs, because uh, I had said ahead of time, now Ohio State didn't win that game, there's no moral victories, etc., 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 but I said the only chance they had was to go out there and play loose uh, like Michigan did against them, and that's what they did. I mean, Ryan Day, like I said, at the end didn't distinguish himself. But everything he did in the preparation for the game, he did distinguish himself. Ohio State, again, defensively, there's things they got to work on there. They got to get better in the secondary where their recruiting has not been as great in recent years after being cornerback U for a long period of time. But it's a thing where Ohio State, I think, took a positive step forward for their program on the same day. Michigan suffers a very disappointing loss right on the heels of that Harbaugh 
with the news about uh, NCAA infractions being investigated. That in and of itself may not be that bad as far as what they're going after them for, but it comes on the heels of his flirtations with the NFL. If Jim Harbaugh is gone, that takes a big monkey off the back of Ryan Day because now there's been the perception two years in a row that he can't beat Jim Harbaugh, which I think is way too soon to have said that anyways, but this is something that could really be a turning point day, positively for Ohio State, negatively for Michigan. Well, it depends. I mean, you know, he, may be, he might be just using NFL to, to get more money out of Michigan. I probably am not saying Michigan because in a couple of years, I mean, you're out of a job in NFL. You don't perform. You don't produce. Especially if you go to the Broncos. Um, I, I mean, they're way over the cap. I, I would say in Michigan, you can build a legacy there, especially with the 12-team playoff on the horizon um, a few years from now. Basically, have a good chance to make the playoff every year. Um, you know, stay, stay in Michigan, get, get every nickel and dime out of them. That's my advice. I agree. I mean, I think it's a lose lose for Jim Harbaugh to leave there because, you know, let's face it, I mean, I'll, I'll be the one to say this. I think he's a deeply weird individual, especially on a social level. They love him at Michigan, they accept him, especially now that he's started beating Ohio State. He's just going to wear out his welcome in the pros the same way that he always does wherever he goes. And Michigan, boy, they're really on the lose-lose end of the spectrum here because who are they going to get to replace him? It was hard enough. After they ran Lloyd Carr out of there, uh, it was hard enough for them to try and find a replacement uh, for him. Finding a replacement for Harbaugh, I can't even imagine how hard that would be for them, somebody that can come in and be competitive with Ohio State, uh, much less even have a chance of beating them. But it was, uh, yeah, all of this kind of negative talk for Michigan and where they may be headed started with how they played on that day against TCU. And uh, again, just very, very odd coaching there. They seem to be gripping early on with the whole kind of, you know, gambling for it mindset and going for the touchdown right off the bat uh, instead of kicking a field goal. And it just got worse from there. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, I think Matt's talking um, the TCU quarterback raised his draft stock um, with, with the postseason and how he played. I mean, he reminds me of Andy Dalton a little bit. So, I mean, I think he has a chance to be a, you know, start round, maybe be a backup, and maybe eventually start one day. I would agree with that. And uh, he gave uh, a pretty decent showing of himself in that game. Didn't have to be great because of the way the circumstances went, but uh, he was good under the circumstances. Of course, a couple of pick sixes. For TCU didn't hurt either as far as getting past Michigan and there was the talk that uh, and, and I was very dubious of this coming in that like oh this could be a big rating success having a, a Cinderella team against powerful Georgia going for the pack-to-back and I thought to myself uh, you know from a ratings perspective you know that's a loser because for as much as anybody would have said well you know Georgia and Alabama that would if they've been a rematch that would have been a, uh, you know, just a geographically concentrated kind of a deal. Nobody outside the Southeast is going to care, except they're both national brands now. Uh, Georgia's become a national brand in the last couple of years with Smart. And matching them against a Cinderella, yeah, I mean, maybe if it had been a great game, the ratings might have borne it out a little bit. But this is one of these things where TCU coming in, they knew they had to play the perfect game, error-free, no margin for error. And the way that that game started, the way that Georgia jumped on them, and uh, some people even fixated on Kirby Smart's uh, pregame comments about uh, being aggressive. We're going to be aggressive tonight. 
and that apparently they, they had a bug up there behind about the way people were talking about them after the near miss against Ohio State and that they might have gotten lucky. Man, I mean, TCU, that, that one was over very, very, very early on, which is always the danger when you have such a big underdog playing such a powerful team. Well, right, well, when we're underdogs, when they when they turn the power field to you, guess guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna yeah, you'll have so you'll have twelve teams, you'll have a, an underdog team in there. But the problem when when they turn twelve teams, but it's gonna be virtually impossible for them to to win several to win several games and win it all because they might they may upset the first round, but with the talent level on those teams, they're gonna get clobbered. So I, I think it's gonna be even more. I mean, you have an underdog went pulling the upset the first round, but it's going to be virtually impossible for them to win a national championship. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that, again, TCU and Michigan, when you compare them on paper talent-wise, and, and again, and Michigan is not in that upper, upper circle with uh, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State recruiting-wise, but Michigan is definitely on that next tier down, and TCU is at least a tier below that. So this is one of these things, and this is sort of my theory about when you get really great games, a lot of times uh, the week after, not so much, or vice versa. If you get a bunch of bad games, then that might be the thinning out period where you get a bunch of great teams playing the next week. And then this instance, the way that game ended with TCU being the one that got through, I don't think there is a, a, an alternate universe anywhere where Michigan goes in and gets curb stomped 65-7. to The way that that game ended, with TCU being the one to emerge, they were the ones that were ripe for a scenario like this. And again, if you play that game 100 times, I don't know how badly, if they get be beaten that badly more than like five times, this is sort of the extreme end of the spectrum. Uh, but it's one of these things where TCU always had a much better chance of getting absolutely decimated than they did pulling off the historic upset, and that's what we saw. Yeah, they, they were out to play a perfect game, but they, they pretty much used their gas uh, against Michigan, but they, they ran out of gas. They, you know, they, it kind of reminds you of college basketball or a team they pull an upset in the home um, and in the first round and the second round they get, they get destroyed. Well, and isn't it funny, because uh, Michigan, as part of their whole thing, and part of why I really hold them responsible for choking the way that they did, was all of their talk coming in, like, we're not satisfied. Last year in the semifinal against Georgia, you know, we might have been happy just to be here, but we're not too happy just to be here this year. Totally looked past them. Totally looked to the rematch with Georgia in the national championship game. And that was one of those things where, again, for TCU, I mean, look, as, as much as they would fight it, as much as they would be saying, hey, we're playing with house money here, let's just go out and attack this thing, they had to be happy just to be there. I mean, Sonny Dykes is a great coach, but year one, he never expected to turn it around this quickly. The TCU people didn't expect it, and then especially after losing to Kansas State. And I hate to be the jerk that said, I told you so, but I said when they choked to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game, they didn't belong to be, they didn't belong in the national semifinals. And again, they got past Michigan. Kudos to them for that, although you and I, I think, agree that was more Michigan handing it to them than them winning it. But hey, scoreboard, they got through. But they proved against Georgia in the national championship game they didn't belong on that stage, I believe. Well, one thing is, Rick, I mean, the fact that TC started the season unranked, yes. unranked, and they got all the way to the champ, that's an amazing 
story for them. That's 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 just that's just, that doesn't happen in college football, Rick. You know, so that's it. They may have lost the championship, but they gained the uh, you know a big pat on the back for coming so far and how they won all those close endings, those other games again. The game against Bill, where they had to run the field goal team on the on the field, and, and they, they played so many balls to the walls, close ending games. So you know. Kudos to them. I mean, they lost the championship, but they really gained a lot of respect, in my view. Well, exactly. And again, I have a lot of respect for what they did this year. But this is one of these things where, and, and again, I think there's this big strain of anti-intellectualism out there of where people love to point to stuff like, well, they weren't even in the top 25 at the beginning of the year. How smart were the pundits not to see that? Okay, that's a thing, and, and fair enough uh, in terms of that. But if you're not in the top 25 at the beginning of the year, the odds are, even if you make it to the national championship game, you're going to get exposed at some point here. And again, we keep going back to this. They, they got lucky against Michigan. Uh, but again, they did enough to win, and, and kudos to them for that. But a team that's not in the top 25 at the beginning of the season, for as much as all of the pundits are focused on recruiting and talent levels and everything like that, which at the end of the day is what determines these things more than anything else, the absolute canyon of talent, position by position, Georgia to TCU. That's one of those things where a team that wasn't ranked at the beginning of the season is never going to have a chance in a game like this because we, we weren't wrong about them to that degree. We might have all been wrong about them that they wouldn't go as far as they would, but as far as being able to hang with Georgia, not being in the top 25 at the beginning of the year is indicative that they were never going to hang with Georgia. Oh, they never were. And looking in the future when, when they have the 12-team playoff, I, I can see multiple teams in the Big Ten. I can see multiple teams in the SEC, maybe three teams. But in the Big 12, I think you're only going to get that conference champion there. I, I just, I'd be surprised if another team sneaks in there um, when that happens in two years. Well, and that's one of the funny things, Fran, is that once it gets going in this, and we're going to talk about the uh, the other New Year's Six Bowls next here because those are the ones that will be the uh, quarterfinals going forward after next year once the new playoff system starts. But in a system, and I'm not sure that everybody's focused enough on this yet at this point, but you would have seen a Kansas State team that not only would have been in the playoffs, but in all likelihood would have been maybe the four seed and thus getting a bye in the first round here. So that's a thing where the way that they built it in, where the top four seeds are going to go to conference champions, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, there's going to be years where you could see a team that's 8-4 and four or something like that that ends up with a first-round bye. It will kind of be the equivalent a little bit, I think, of uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks this year in the NFL. They get a home uh, for you know buy or not uh, buy, but uh, home, home field in the first round uh, of the playoffs simply by dint of winning a division. But somebody better might come in to be playing them. You're going to see a lot of the same thing here. You're going to see teams in the future that get a buy in college football, maybe because they got lucky in their conference championship game, and then whoever had to play the week before is just going to come in and destroy them. Yeah, that's definitely the case, but. Uh... Um, but I definitely see, um, you know, Cinderella teams being weird. I think when, when, when the 12 team playoff, by, by the time we get to that to the championship, we'll probably have, you know, um, a much better match, much better head to head matchup. Because, uh, I mean, the toll on, on the travel, the toll on playing games, it's going to be the elite things. And as far as my earlier, pers- 
um, prediction for next year. I think Georgia's going to three-peat. Uh, the only tough game they have on the schedule looking at early was this Tennessee on the road, which could be a fun game. But I think Georgia's going to – I think Georgia might three-peat next season. That's my only prediction. They have to be the early favorite, no question about it. And, uh, yeah, their schedule really kind of sets up well. It sets up favorably. And uh, they, uh, again, they're going to lose a good chunk of talent to the NFL, but they did last year, and uh, they didn't really bat an eye this year. So, yes, I think they're, they're the team to beat until proven otherwise. And I think I was reading today, Minnesota in like 1934 to 36, they're the only other team to three-peat. Uh, by the way, that's not a program that we would natu- naturally think of as far as uh, being uh, having success on that level. But uh, the other New Year's Six games... Uh, very interesting. Uh, my Tennessee Vols, as I expected, going in, taking it to Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Ironically, the battle of two orange-colored uh, uniform teams in that one there. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Kansas State Wildcats uh, hanging for just a very little bit with Alabama in the Sugar Bowl uh, before getting stomped. Uh, Tulane uh, with the uh, the comeback on USC in the uh, the Cotton Bowl that was uh, kind of amazing and uh, Penn State pulling away from Utah in the Rose Bowl so uh, some some very interesting uh, matchups and uh, all in all uh, probably uh, not quite the caliber of games that they were hoping for start to finish uh, when the committee set up these uh, these bowl matchups here although again. Tulane and USC certainly lived up to the billing. Oh, well, Tulane was very entertaining, and that was one of the games that um, we, we both said Tulane was going to beat USC. I was going to come back. I got to give I got to give Alabama all the credit in the world. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, top picks in the NFL draft, and they decided to actually play. They wanted to finish business. I give them credit. All the other players opting out, I give them credit for, for them finishing it out and uh, playing. The thing was, USC had a lot of people that left. Um, a lot of quarterbacks didn't play, and, and, and when I'm looking at bowl games, I'm like, I'm not gonna pick these these, these teams because this because the quarterbacks are not gonna be playing in these games. So it's kind of like uh, Tennessee. I mean, I mean that's the moment for that season, but unless they um get a defense, they're not gonna be anybody. That's true. Over. That that has to for Josh Heupel and the program. That has to be uh, the focus going into next year. And uh, again, for a uh, for an overall bowl season, uh, it was it was pretty interesting, top to bottom. Not every game was great, but uh, yeah, me personally, I thought it couldn't have started on a better note with the Bahamas Bowl, with uh, Miami of Ohio getting beaten by UAB. Uh, certainly, as an Ohio Bobcat fan, you love to see it. Uh, and as an alum, and uh, by the way, we we went on to win the uh, the Arizona Bowl subsequently. So suck it, Miami. But uh, some of the other games uh, that were out there, uh, there, there were there were many games that turned out to be fairly classic. The uh, the, the the religious war of uh, BYU and SMU, twenty four to twenty three in the New Mexico Bowl, and on and on and on it went. And uh, I know there were a number of outcomes that didn't surprise you at all, Fran. Well, I mean, I mean, starting at some, starting at some of the games, um, uh, going down the bowl list, uh, uh, um. I mean, as far as uh, the games are concerned, on I I I, 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 I told you guys, the Air Force will be bailing on for school. Football teams are hard to hard to um, hard to compete for. Um, Florida State winning the Cheetah Bowl, I said Florida State was going to win that game. Um, yeah, there was a lot of. I mean, um, New Mexico State in the Quick Lane Bowl, I said they were going to win that game. I said that, you know, the thing is, 
all games are about motivation as far as I'm concerned. The one game I was wrong about, which I counted, was the uh, Jackson. I thought, I thought Jackson State was going to uh, win the Coach Prime's last game. That was an entertaining game. And a lot. And I think Tom Lugerville in Bull Mania, that was his most confident pick. So if anyone listened to him, they were dead wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh... A number of outcomes here that were uh, very interesting. Uh, the Liberty Bowl uh, with uh, Arkansas, neighboring Arkansas, winning 55-53 over Kansas in three overtimes. Uh, nevertheless, I mean, that's the kind of thing where if you told Kansas they were going to have the kind of season it ended, even with a thrilling loss like that, I think they'd have been happy. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, they made an amazing comeback, and the thing is, um, it, it was fun to watch. I mean, it, 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 was, it was amazing to uh, come back. It was almost meltdown by Arkansas. But Arkansas, even the coach said, we had a lot of players that left, and we, and we played with the players that played. Some people complain there's too many ball games, but like I said, it's just it's entertaining. It's fun. And what else are you going to watch, Rick? I mean, what, do you want to watch uh, infomercials? Do you want to watch uh, reruns in the afternoons? Ball games are fun to watch. They, they are, they are. I love bowl season. Uh, some other ones, uh, we talked about it going in. The Holiday Bowl is always going to be intriguing, uh, and this one proved to be Oregon 28, North Carolina 27. I talked about the Sun, Bell, uh, Sun Bowl. That's always a fun one to watch in the afternoon on CBS. Uh, Pittsburgh with the comeback win over UCLA 37-35. That was a game that went back and forth a lot. Uh, Notre Dame wrapping up uh, what turned out to be a, a good year for them uh, after a very, very embarrassing uh, first uh, half of the season. Uh, but they uh, they defeat the other USC, South Carolina, 45-38. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, my Bobcats with the thrilling win in the Arizona Bowl in, in overtime, 30-27 to over Wyoming. Uh, a surprising output I know Kentucky didn't have their quarterback, but uh, Iowa with a 21 to nothing win in the Music City Bowl. Uh, it's been a tough year at Iowa. Uh, again, defensively stout the way that they usually are, but offensively uh, awful. And uh, Kirk Ferentz is going to have some decisions to make going forward there. Definitely. And, um, um, you know, the thing was, Iowa just is, is pretty circular on offense. We have to touch base on the little rely request. Well, Mississippi he was uh, well, Mike Leach passed away. He was innovative with that run, running gun offense. He, he uh, I loved his comments. He's, he was saying so many things off the hook, and uh, I, I think Mississippi State was going to be motivated to win that game. And that, 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 that's another game that didn't surprise me when, when Mike Leach passed away. I thought they were going to win it for him. And, and the thing was, he, he was an innovative coach, uh, you know, running gun, um, um, high power offenses, and he was the typical coach. He basically came out of nowhere and um, climbed the ladder and. Coach, yeah, and uh, Mike Leach, I think, might be good for a future segment here on the show because everybody knows him as being, of course, uh, he seems to be known first and foremost for being the entertaining, lighthearted, funny guy that he was, but uh, again, one of the most brilliant and innovative minds in the last couple of decades in college football, and maybe of all time when you look at it there as far as everything accomplished. Nobody was going to beat Mississippi State on that day. Uh, their motivation just had to be uh, through the roof. Uh, a couple other interesting notes from the uh, bowl season here. Uh, I think we had touched on this one as well. A great matchup of historic powers in the, of all things, the Cheez-It Bowl in Orlando. Florida State 35, Oklahoma 32. And then in the uh, Citrus Bowl, 
Uh, LSU, I think, has really spent, especially the back half of the season, putting everyone on notice about things going forward with Brian Kelly. Purdue, of course, going to be flat-footed without uh, their coach, but uh, 63-7 to over Purdue. I don't think anybody accept, expected that level of curb stomping. Oh, not at all. And, and one game I definitely want to touch, touch base on is the FCS championship. It was nice to see someone win a game besides North Dakota State. South Dakota State won 45 21. I mean, they, they spanked North Dakota State. They're rivals, and finally, South Dakota State, um, you know, beats their rival, which was good. Yes, yes. It was a big moment uh, for them. And uh, as we look back at the uh, college football postseason, uh, anything else jumping out at you that we didn't get to, Fran? One thing was um, your Mac won the Bowl Challenge Cup, but they went 4 yes. 2. So I, I give you credit all, all in the world that um, the thing was, I wish that. That that bowl game with 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 Ohio um, and Wyoming was on a better channel because, but uh, well, I'm not gonna go out of my way to stream a bowl game on my phone to to watch it, right? No offense. Well, I'm not a barstool uh, fan at all. I'm not I'm not into the whole uh, child sports thing here. I'm not a big Boston sports guy, and that's an understatement. So. To be honest with you, I didn't even uh, go go to watch it. I wasn't going to give in to the blackmail if you have to go to Barstool Sports to watch a game. I just said, screw it, there's other ways to keep up with what's happening. So I hear you on that one. Something that was disappointing to me as far as the, uh, the MAC went, I was following in the Quick Lane Bowl, uh, Bowling Green being my mom's alma mater, of course, uh, them losing in Mexico State 24-19. Uh, they hung in there pretty well, notwithstanding the loss of their starting quarterback during the game. Uh, but that was uh, that was really interesting. And uh, something we had talked about, by the way, coming into a bowl season as well, uh, the Louisville-Cincinnati matchup uh, in the Fenway Bowl, Fenway Park, Louisville 24, Cincinnati 7. So a couple of programs in flux there, certainly with their uh, their coaching situations. Yeah, I mean, it was basically the young coaches coached that game. But that, yeah, that, 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 that kind of surprised me a little bit. But then again, with this ball season, it's so hard. With so many players opting out, it makes it so hard to pick games, right? It's not easy. I mean, you know, I, we know, I know college football just as much as you do. And, picking, and I was wrong about like, a lot of um, outcomes, um, you know, because of, you don't know, who the hell is playing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, oh, one more that uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the Alamo Bowl because, uh, again, like the Holiday Bowl every year, that has a chance to be a really good game. Uh, Washington and Texas, two programs moving in intriguing directions. Uh, Washington 27, Texas 20. Uh, that was another one there. Uh, of course, Washington in the Pac 12. You touched on Coach Prime before. One of the things looking ahead early to next year is uh, what's going to happen with Deion Sanders in Colorado. Uh, the combination of NIL and the transfer portal, how long can he, will it take for him to get them established uh, as a strong program? My guess is there may be a, a fringe contender next year to make it to the Pac-12 championship game, but I'm, I'm pegging them for somewhere probably in the region of like 8-4. and four. What would be your expectations for that program going forward? Uh, I think maybe seven or five. I will say one thing: if they're ball eligible, um, a lot of ball games are going to want them. Right? Oh yeah, going to bring ratings and people are going to tune in. It's going to people are going to watch. And I'll tell you a funny story: um, when he was on the uh, um, college football 
pre-show, he mentioned that they were going to put Arizona State in Week Zero, and guess what? They 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 just scrapped that because he wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> well, the first of many times I'm sure where he says something that he's not supposed to say. But uh, as I look at the uh, the pairings uh, for bowl season, uh, the Pac-12 is represented in both uh, the Holiday Bowl and the Alamo Bowl. So that's an early clip and save for next year. I'll bet you they end up in one of those two spots because ESPN always seems to prioritize getting a really good matchup for uh, the Alamo Bowl. Of course, uh, Fox with uh, the Holiday Bowl, that could be a bidding war maybe between the networks here. (laughs) Who's going to get Colorado in their game? That could be interesting. If anybody could find a way to leverage extra money out of it, it would be Deion Sanders. Uh, I, I get the impression that if Colorado gets off to a good start, game day will be had there. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. And uh, for the first time since uh, Bill McCartney had the program uh, at its historic high back in the 90s, there is going to be plenty of attention there. Uh, I, the one thing I will say is that first meeting that he had, and of course he made sure it was, I think it was, it was live streamed, but it was at least streamed even if not uh, live, but uh, the, the whole thing here, of like for anybody here, uh, all y'all should look to transfer. It's one thing to talk about you're going to have great competition coming in. It's gonna, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to rest on your laurels. But uh, the way that he seemed to be almost going out of his way to egg on some of the kids there to, uh, to transfer, maybe not everybody heard it the same way I did, but I thought that was distasteful. You, you can talk all you want and challenge them all you want, but I felt like a line was crossed with the tone that he used to address them. Oh, that's yeah, that, that's how he that's how he is. He's kind of always crazy. Um, it, re- it really is. Um, one thing I want to discuss briefly is that Navy fired their, their football coach Kenny about not all. So we're gonna have to see if they're gonna bring in a triple option coach. I mean, that's the only thing that's gonna work in Navy. Right? I mean, we'll see what they have to see the coach and such. But the thing is, if, if Army Navy and Navy run a traditional offense next year, that'd be very strange. Yeah, it would be. It really would. I mean, and there's so many different uh, things that uh, could be taking shape before the start of the next season. But the one thing I think we can comfortably predict is that the major earthquakes over the summer that we've had the last two years, I don't think we're going to have them nearly to that degree now. I think things are kind of stabilizing in terms of NIL happened two summers ago. That was an earthquake unto itself. And then the realignment in the conferences over the last two summers such that it was looking like at one point uh, maybe there might be a merger between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. At this point we know those conferences are going to be around the ACC ensured they're going to stick around because of the grant of rights deal with all of the schools going through I think 2036. So I think we'll see some things around the margins here uh, but especially now with the 12-team playoff we know the shape of things going forward and uh, my guess is the changes that happen from here on in are going to be a lot more gradual than we've seen the last two years. Do you agree with that, Fran? Well, I definitely do. And this week, you know, I decided to, you know, stop um, uh, past laws where, you, where it would be very hard to do a second transfer. Because JT Daniels playing for four college football teams the last four years is a joke. Yes, it really is. And uh, the transfer portal at this uh, point in time, is something where it it essentially is free agency in college football. And, uh, you know, seeing how that uh, continues to play out uh, will be very interesting. I mean, that, that, that part of it's not done evolving, but as far as the earthquakes of 
major schools changing conferences. Some, con some major conferences may not exist anymore. I think we basically know the shape of things going forward. We have one lame duck season under the college football playoff. I always loved the four-team system. I wanted it way before it was in place. I will mourn it after it leaves. I think four teams is perfect. I think it protects the integrity of the regular season. I understand nobody in America agrees with me on this, uh, Fran, so I'm going to enjoy the one last season of the system that I think works the best before we move to this uh, new strange world of 12 teams. Oh, right. I mean, towards the end of the season, the, game, the games are getting, the winner's going to, you know, make the playoffs, and the loser will get a constellation prize in making the playoffs. So when Ohio State plays Michigan, the game's going to, even if you lose, hey, you know, if you lose, you can hit still. So it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, um, really, the only thing, the only thing I, do, I will say is that it's going to make those, those, those conference championships a little bit more meaningful because if you win the game, right, you can get a, you can get a first round by it. So that's that's right. a, yeah, but um, as far as regular season games, it might be a lot less meaningless. Yes, I think that's going to be the case. I think that's going to be the trade-off. Nobody seems to want to acknowledge that, but uh, I acknowledge that. And like I said, it's the reason that I'll savor the next season because it's the last one that I will ever see that is in the system that I think works best. But uh, as always, it is a pleasure to follow everything happening in the world of college football with you, Franz Stuckberry, and I know before too long, we'll be getting back together to discuss all things spring football. Yeah, the XFL's around the corner, and uh, I'll be doing a podcast, XFL Weekly, which will be a lot of fun and entertaining, but um, yeah, Rick, it's, it's been a pleasure as always. I appreciate having you here, Fran, no question about it. Thank you so much, and thank you everybody for joining us for FDH Lounge, mini episode 1577.